This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Joshua Wirth explains the devil, who he is, and what he wants. Now, let's listen to Father Joshua Wirth. Let's first turn to Scripture. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, we've got a long discourse, and this is where we get most of our information about the devil. So I'll just start at the beginning of the chapter, and I'm going to skip over some parts so we can learn more about who and what is the devil. Chapter 12, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on each of its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman, about to give birth, to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert, where she had a place prepared by God that she might be taken care of. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels battled against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The huge dragon, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with it. When the dragon saw that it had been thrown down to earth, it pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the wings of the great eagle so that she could fly to her place in the desert, where far from her serpent she was taken care of. Then the dragon became angry with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. So as you see from this story, from this uh, scripture passage, that the devil is an angel, a fallen angel, but he was created by God. He was created as were the other demons. And But an angel isn't like a human being. An angel doesn't have a body. We often see it as a picture, you know, these little cherubs, little babies with wings or whatever. That's not what an angel is. In fact, the angel doesn't have any wings. The angel doesn't have any eyes, doesn't have any ears, doesn't have anything like a body. So it is just a pure spirit. And it's been gifted with a powerful intellect, with wonderful insight and reasoning. And the angels were created outside of space and time. So they don't have a body. So they're not limited to things like space, you know, a foot, two foot, three foot, whatever. Or time as well. They don't count things by, I only got a minute, or I only got 30 seconds, or I only got an hour, or a day, or a year. They are outside of space and time. So they can see all, from their vantage point in heaven, they can see all of God's plan from the beginning to the end. They can see perfectly everything that's going to happen, and and they can see all of God's wonder in just one glance. They can see it all. So the devil is 
the highest of angels, was the highest of angels. He's also known in scripture as Lucifer, which means the light bringer, that he was the greatest of angels. And we don't know why he fell. We know a couple things. We know that scripture tells us that, uh, that because of the devil's envy, death entered into the world. So we know that. We also know in Isaiah, a scripture passage where Isaiah talks about how Lucifer thought he was so high that he wanted to make a throne higher than God. Now, it's not quite clear if Isaiah was talking about the actual devil in, in that passage or one of the Babylonian kings. He was, he was raging against the Babylonian kings. But a lot of church fathers said, no, he's talking about the Babylonian king and he was talking about that the Babylonian king was mimicking, imitating the sin of the devil, that he wanted to be higher than God. And as I was reading and preparing for uh, to answer this question, I was thinking, or I was reading, and, and a lot of theologians say, you know, this isn't possible, that an angel, he's got perfect reasoning, he's got perfect understanding, he's got, he can see everything from beginning to end, so he would, he would know that it's impossible to be God, or to be higher than God. So, what is the sin that the devil caused that he fell and he took a third of the angels with him. It says here in the, in the scripture from Revelation, the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. So we see that as that a third of God's angels went with the devil. So the devil is not without his popularity and the ways of the devil are not without their seduction and went without their followers. So why did he fall? What was his great sin? Well, his some have uh, wondered if maybe, you know, since they saw the beginning, from the beginning to the end, if maybe Lucifer didn't see the incarnation of, of the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, the Son, becoming a human being, and that one day angels would bow before this human being, which humans are lower because since we have a body and a spirit and we don't have that perfect intellect and reasoning since we're lower and we're in space and time that he would one day have to bow down to that and he was jealous of that you know god if if you could be any person if you could take on any nature take on the nature of an angel take on my nature but how could you ask an angel to bow down before god bow down before this dirty, ugly human being. But that's just a theory, so we don't know. And another theory I was reading, you know, some of the greatest theories that we have come from poets, and they're not, they're not gospel truth, they're not scriptural truth, but, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest stories of this is a poem called Paradise Lost by John Milton. And I was reading that the other day in preparation for to answer this question. And, and just some of uh, the times when he's, he's speaking for the devil, you know, what the devil might have said that caused him to fall, it's so palpable. It's so understandable. Yeah, I could see somebody doing that. I could see where that would be a big temptation. 
of course, we're projecting a lot of human uh, fallenness and envy and pride onto the angelic beings, and maybe that's a false assumption, but, but there's something about the way that, that the devil's operated in the world that we say, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So John Milton, you know, he wrote down in, in his poem, Paradise Lost, he wrote down that the devil fell because God made him too beautiful, made him too high up, made him too powerful, that there was very little distance. You know, he was the highest of all angels. So he was kind of the next great thing after God. He was the next best thing. And he could only stare at the throne of God with envy. You know, and and he asked the question, how can I serve for eternity somebody I hate? And he hated God because he could not be God. He was so close. He was the highest creation. But he can never be God, and he hated that. He hated that. He was filled with jealousy and pride and vanity and envy. And he wanted it, wanted it so much. And that's something we can relate to as human beings, that we want to be independent. We want to be God. In fact, that was the temptation that the devil used on us in Genesis. You will be like gods. We want that independence. We don't want it. We see God sometimes as the great bother in our life, the great hindrance always reminding us of the law, always, why do we got to go to worship? Why do we got to go to church? Why do we got to follow religion? And the devil looked at God, and he had the opposite reaction that Jesus had. You know, Jesus said in the scripture, he did not, even though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not see being equal to God as something to be grasped at. And so he emptied himself into the form of a slave. Now, the devil, Lucifer, before he fell, he looked at God and he saw being God as something to be grasped at, something to have, something to own, something to control. He wanted to be the unmoved mover. He wanted to be the uncreated creator. But he was a creature, and therefore he was dependent that everything that he was did not belong to him, but was like a painting that he had been painted by a, a great master, but he himself could not create himself, right? He could not control. He was not in charge of his own being, that his being had a nature, and that nature was to serve as all created natures are to serve so we have this great saying in in, uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost where where Mammoth, one of the demons Mammoth is speaking and he says it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven so we often attribute to, to the devil this isn't actually in scripture and you can't find this anywhere but we, we say this that that he spoke up and he said, I will not serve. But he's a creature. Creatures have to serve. They cannot be independent of, of their creator. They cannot turn and say, I am God and I'm going to create and those things must now serve me. 
but I myself will not serve. A creature has to serve by its very nature. So in that moment, there was a great battle of ideas. And the scriptures talk about a war broke out in heaven. I had a teacher and he really made me think and he said, was it a war of swords that didn't have any bodies? Or was it a war of ideas, of intellect? So Satan said, I will not serve. That was, that was his uh, assertion. That was his great idea that he put forward. And this idea that we have carried as human beings, we've carried many, many times in our life. I will not serve. And Michael, the archangel Michael, was the other debater, and, and he came back with a retort. Well, what was his retort? Well, we don't know, except that Michael, if you break down the word, uh, the name Michael, it means who is like unto God. So we say the debate broke out in heaven. Lucifer, who was the greatest, the highest of all angels, and he kind of thought, ah, I'm going to take the place of God. That's something I want. And he said, I will no longer serve, but I want to be served. I will not serve, he said. And then Michael retorted, who is like unto God? And then there was a silence, a deafening silence as all, all the angels stopped singing for a moment. There was no answer because the devil had taken something onto his very nature that he could never have. The ability to not serve. He was created to serve. And his whole nature was wrapped up in service. That he would be the messenger of God, the light bringer. And he said no. And he was free to do that. He had a free will. And he said no. And Michael retorts, who is like unto God? As, in, as if to say, can you create... Can you be God, the uncreated creator? Can you be the unmoved mover? Can you be the master painter? Who else can do that but God? And now you want to take the things that are God and say, that's you? You see, God revealed himself and he said, I am who I am. And the devil revealed himself at that moment by giving himself his own title. I am who I am not. I take things that I can never have. I take things that are not me. And with that retort of Michael, who was like unto God? Who can be the uncreated creator? There was silence. No words except for one word, the eternal word, Christ, who is the eternal word that God, the Heavenly Father, has spoken, and that's it. And he's spoken it forever, and he's got nothing else to say but that. Jesus Christ. So with that, with Jesus stepping forward, that he is a one like God, that was the next great idea in this battle, the debate of, over ideas. And with that, sin entered into the heart of the devil, and there was no other place for him to go. It says in Revelation, but they did not prevail, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. You have to be able to serve if you're in heaven. So as soon as the devil said, I'm not going to serve, that entered into his heart and he could no longer be there. 
So he was thrust out of there, out of heaven, like a, like a, Jesus says, like a lightning bolt. Jesus said, I saw the devil fall like lightning. Well, lightning doesn't really fall like a leaf, you know, floating down or a feather. It's thrust, it's thrown. He was, as soon as that sin, and sometimes I talk about how sin is like a weight. As soon as that sin entered into the heart of Lucifer, it dragged him down out of heaven onto the earth and even past the earth where there was no other, there was no other place for him to go. So God made, God created hell for him to go to because now he had to be somewhere where he did not have to serve. Now he had to be somewhere as far away from God as he possibly could be. So God created hell for the devil and his demons to live there. So that was his sin. And that was the war, the great debate that raged in heaven. When somebody says, I will not serve. Well, how can a creature not serve? And Michael retorted, who is like unto God? No one except for God. Okay. No one except for the son and the Holy Spirit. And with that weight, the devil fell the weight of that sin, he was dragged down, thrust, thrown down into hell. When I was younger, I thought I came up with a really good question that nobody could answer. And I couldn't get my parents to answer. I couldn't get anybody. Looked everywhere, tried to find somebody to answer this question. That was, if God is so forgiving, why doesn't he just forgive the devil? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that fix a lot of things? If God is so forgiving then he should forgive the devil. And I thought I really had it with that. But I started thinking about it and I started reading more about it. And like I said, being an angel means that you have perfect reasoning, perfect clarity, perfect insight. So when they looked out at the at their choice of options, because they did have free will, they can choose to fo- follow God or not. When they looked at their choice of options, they saw exactly what would happen if they choose not to follow God. They knew that it would cause their downfall and they'd be forever lost. They knew that. They saw the plan of God from beginning to end and they knew with perfect clarity that if they chose that, they would forever be lost. Let me put it this way. The devil cannot be reconciled with God because when he chose to sin, he knew that was the consequence. You see, we're different than that. We sin sometimes by accident. We sin because our our mental capacities are clouded, are confused, are limited. We can't, we don't have the foresight to see what the effects of our sin is going to do in our lives and the lives of others and our relationship with God. We don't have that. So God in his mercy says, look, you know, he says, look at the devastation you've caused. You know, come back to me, come back to me and he'll forgive us again and again, because a lot of times we have no idea what's around the corner, but the devil knew exactly what was around the corner. He knew that if he was to not serve, that there would be no going back. He would never be able to say, I'm sorry. He would never be able to say, I want to choose to serve again. So he saw hell. He saw an eternity of hell waiting for him and he still chose it. That's how deep his pride was. That's how envious he was. He could not 
look at God and serve him because now he hated God because he could never be God. And he saw the eternity of hell and he said, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. So the devil can never be forgiven because he knew that when he chose it and he'll never ask to be forgiven. He'll never ask for it. But that's the power of our free will. That's the power is that we can choose to be far from God for all eternity if that's what we want. So we got to be careful with our decisions here on earth because they're good they're good indications of what we're going to choose for eternity. If you don't want to worship on Sunday, if you avoid worship, if you avoid prayer, if you avoid the commandments, if you avoid the beatitudes, hey, how are you going to do that forever? For eternity if you avoid it here on earth. Instead, we have to discipline ourselves, practice ourselves to worship, to pray, to follow the commandments, to follow teachings of Christ and his church, to follow the Beatitudes so that we can do that forever in heaven. But God's not going to force us. He's not going to force us to be in heaven, just as he didn't force the devil to be in heaven. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, or smartphone app, please know we'll be right back with more about the devil, who he is, and what he wants with Father Joshua Wirth. double-edged sword cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. The devil, who he is and what he wants. Now, here's Father Joshua Wirth. Now that uh, we kind of know who the devil is, what does he do? Now that he's here on earth, what does he do? Well, as I kind of said before, he knows that he can't storm the gates of heaven. He knows that he can't defeat God. I mean, he's not hes not an idiot. He knows that, that he can never be God. But what can he do? He can, he can damage God and fall farther and farther away from God by destroying the things that God has created, things that God loves, namely us. If somebody wants to hurt you and they can't get to you, what are they going to do? They're going to destroy your house. They're going to burn your house down. They're going to kill all your cattle. They're going to burn your pets. They're going to attack your family. They're going to attack your loved ones. They're going to attack your friends, your cousins, everybody they can get their hands on just to hurt you because the devil can't touch God. So instead, he's going to tear us down and tempt us. So it gets a little scary when you think about it, because we already have a hard enough time following God. We have our own selfishness. We have our own passions. We have our own appetites. And we see the commandments and we say, ah, this again. And we see the Beatitudes and say, how am I ever going to live up to this? And, you know, we hear the teachings of Christ and his church and we say, this, this is too hard. So not, not only do we have our own inner resistance to the teachings of God, but now we got this 
fallen angel, this mastermind, that he is going to use and manipulate the evil in our life to tempt us farther away from God. You see, there's, there's evil in the world. I don't, think I, I don't think that's a newsflash, anybody. There's evil in the world. And as I explained before, there's evil in the world, even in our own bodies, even in our own will and intellect and conscience and reasoning. And there's evil in nature and hurricanes and cancer and all these things. There's evil in the world because God created the material universe. He created a material universe to serve mankind. But when mankind fell away from God, everything else fell away from God because everything was attached to God through us. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the whole world fell into disunity. The whole world fell into rebellion. Once we rebelled, the whole world rebelled. The entire created universe rebelled. So that's why we got hurricanes. That's why we got cancer. That's why we got these horrible uh, diseases and pestilence and things of nature. But also that's why we got a diminished capacity to understand the consequences of our actions, of our sins. We have a diminished capacity of will that sometimes we know that it's wrong, but we can't stop ourselves from doing it. All of this has been fallen. We live in a fallen world. And Jesus came to redeem us. So he's redeemed us. He's redeemed our soul, I should say. Jesus has redeemed our soul so that if we put on Christ, if we put on his will, if we put on his reasoning, if we put on his conscience, we can follow his footsteps to heaven. But the things of this world are still fallen. And and the horrible thing is, the scary thing is that the devil has great power to manipulate those things that are fallen in order to tempt us away from God. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I'm not talking about random things. You know, your tire get, you know, you get a flat tire on your car. That doesn't mean God, you know, devil's out to get you or you stub your toe. That doesn't mean the devil is out to get you, right? I'm talking about when everything seems to happen at the wrong time together, and it can't be a coincidence. I'm talking about you just lost your job, your wife just left, your car just broke down, and you go home that night and you find, uh, you know, just a perfect amount of pills to take and alcohol that you won't wake up in the morning. That's what I'm talking about. Evil, that he's manipulated that situation so that you doubt God's goodness. That's the great temptation that the devil lays out in front of all of us. In the movie The Exorcist, the young priest asks the old priest, how can God allow this to happen? How can God allow this demon to take over this young girl? And and a reminder, that's based on a true story. And the old priest turned to the young priest and said, the devil attacks what is beautiful so that we will doubt God's goodness. And I think that's right. I think that's right. I think that's the right answer. Because look at our lives. You know, when everything is falling apart, when all those things 
emerge at the same time. The devil is manipulated. Everything bad is going to happen at one time. So what are we going to do? We're going to turn to God and say, this is your fault, God. And I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be close to you in any way. And we see that in the book of Job where God actually gives free reign to the devil to attack Job. Because the devil says, the only reason that he follows you is because you bless his life. If he didn't have all these blessings, nobody would follow you. Certainly not this guy. And so God said, well, let's see if that's true. You can, you can have access to anything in his life, all the blessings in his life, but you can't touch his life, his very, his very life. You can't kill him. And so Job loses his his cattle, loses his family, his children die, loses his property, and then even loses his health. He's covered in boils. And what does he begin to do? He begins to doubt God's goodness. That's what we do in our life, too. I always think of our Mother Mary, our Heavenly Mother Mary. The reason why she's sinless is because terrible things happened in her life. I mean, just horrible, awful things that that you wouldn't expect any young girl to know how to handle that stuff. All right, first off, she gets pregnant at a very young age, and it looks like either adultery or fornication in a society that kills you for that. So she received a death sentence. And the only person, the only witness that it wasn't adultery or fornication is God, and God's not talking. And then she gives birth to the Savior of the world in a barn. Now, talking about embarrassment, humiliation. And then she loses him in a temple for three days, which if any one of us lost our kids for three days, you know, SRS would be at our door. And then the worst of all, her son is murdered. And in all that time, she never doubted God's goodness. That's why she never sinned. She never doubted God's goodness. The devil could not get any hooks into her because she never doubted God's goodness. So the devil works the evil in this world, the fallen things in this world. He works it into kind of a plan, a master plan, him and his demons. So when you're at your weakest, when everything's falling apart, then he presents you with a way out, what looks like a way out from the pain, a way out from the cross. This is the genius of the devil. God offers you the cross, and the devil says, there's another way to get what you want besides a cross, besides suffering. That was how the devil tempted Jesus. He said, out in the desert, he said, you haven't eaten for 40 days. You're hungry. Turn these rocks into, into bread. After all, you have natural desires. You have a natural desire of hunger. You have a natural desire of for sex, for companionship. You have a natural desire towards anger. You have a natural desire. Like he says to all of us, give in to your natural. You don't have to embrace the cross. Here's a way out of this suffering. Give in to your passions. Give in to your appetites. And then the second time the devil tempted Jesus, he said, do you want to win people to you? Give them a show. Jump off of this tower and the angels will come and save you. And you, you can be king of the world, and you don't have to suffer the cross. You can get everything you want. You don't have to die. You don't have to bleed. You don't have to lose everything. Give people a show, and they'll come back to you, and they'll follow you. 
And then finally, the worst temptation of the three where the devil, was he telling the truth? Or was it one of his many lies where he showed Jesus all the cities of the earth and said, all this belongs to me? Could be true. It's all fallen world. All this belongs to me. If you would only bow down and worship me, you will be king of this place. You don't have to suffer the cross. You don't have to suffer that loneliness. Just just call up one of your ex-girlfriends. You don't have to you don't have to be thirsty. Just pick up that bottle of alcohol. You don't have to be lonely anymore. You don't have to carry your cross anymore. And what does he ask for? He asks for worship. Again, that thing that belongs to God, that only only belongs to God. The devil is taking it for himself again. Because he is I am who is not. I am not God, but I wish I was. That's the devil. And he wants you to follow his example. You can have whatever you want without the cross, without the suffering. He gives you that way out. He's the guy that when you're having trouble with your spouse, you go to a grocery store and you run into, and it's not, it has to be something besides coincidence. You run into an old flame, an old boyfriend, girlfriend, and they're single. And they, they're newly divorced. And they want to know if you want to go get a cup of coffee to talk about it. Who do you think arranged that? Who do you think made that meeting at the grocery store possible? Well, do you think that was just an accident? No. The great schemer, great mastermind, he knew your weakness. And he didn't know because he was... He was he can read your mind. See, the devil, the demons can't read our minds, but they can watch. And they know that you were staring at that picture of your old flame every other night. They knew what you were doing when you thought nobody was watching. They saw that extra sip of alcohol. They saw that extra $5 you took from the register. They know where our weaknesses are at. And they don't play fair. They don't say, well, you know, he's having a bad day and uh, he's, he's always had a bad relationship with his dad, so I'm not going to touch that. I'm not going to throw an authority figure in his life, a judge or, or a cop or something. I'm not going to do that and because, you know, that's, that's too easy. That's, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what your weaknesses are. He doesn't care that something should be off limits. He doesn't care about that stuff. He will manipulate any situation to get you to doubt God's goodness, and he will give you the out, which is sin. Put down your cross. You don't have to suffer this anymore. You don't have to suffer these commandments. You don't have to suffer these beatitudes. You don't have to suffer these rules. You don't have to suffer this loneliness, this isolation. But then, once you bite, remember, the devil uses traps and snares and traps and snares always have a bait that looks good. So you bite on that hook. And then he reels you in. And and then is he your best friend? And then is he the guy who's going to help you out more? He says, no. What have you done? You're lost. You're dead. You're worse than me. Might as well do it some more. God can't send you to hell twice. Believe me, I know. God can't send you to hell twice. Might as well... Commit adultery again, fornication again, drugs again, lie again, steal again. 
And the whole time we're wrapping ourselves up in chains and the devil's just handing it over to us. As soon as we are in his trap, he's not our friend anymore. Now he's the accuser. That's the other great title of the devil in the Bible is that he's accuser. So that in the heavenly court, God is the judge. The heavenly father is the judge. The Holy Spirit is the advocate. He's your defense attorney. Jesus is on the witness stand. He's trying to remember if he's ever seen you at church before. He's trying to remember if he knows you. He's trying to remember if he has any relationship with you. And the devil is the prosecutor, and he's accusing you, accusing you of every sin that you ever committed, any time that you doubted God's goodness, any time you put down your cross. And he accuses and he accuses and he accuses. But here's the thing. Prosecutor doesn't have the power to send anybody to hell. The prosecutor doesn't have the power to lock you up. That's all the power that devil has is to accuse and to manipulate the situation so that when you're at your lowest low, he gives you a sin as a way out. He gives you, listen, wouldn't you rather be free in hell than serve in heaven? He gives us that out, but we have to take it. We have to free will. There's one other thing that the devil likes to do, and he only does this rarely, but he likes to test God's resolve to his, to his own rules, to his own creatures. So he likes to create a situation, a horrible, evil situation, in order to get everybody to doubt God's goodness and to see if he can get God to break his own rules of free will and to put a stop to things. So, like, think of the Holocaust. The devil manipulated that situation, and he had his fingerprints all over it, and his breath was in every word that Hitler was speaking. All those millions of people were killed. Remember, the devil is called a liar and a murderer from the beginning because he murders people's souls. He murders their eternal life. And he wanted to see if he can create such a horrible tragedy on this earth that God himself would come down and say, that's it, enough of this. I'm putting a stop to this. No more free will. I'm stopping these people because of the evil that's been done. The Holocaust wasn't the first time that the devil did that, and it's not going to be the last time. But the greatest time that he did that is when Jesus was on the cross, and he manipulated the situation, manipulated the evil in people so that creation was rejecting its creator once again, that human beings were now crucifying their creator. But more importantly... The creation was killing the Son of God. And if at any moment that God just wanted to destroy the whole world and destroy every living thing that he ever gave free will to, it was at that moment. He wanted to reach down and save his Son and send the armies of angels. And there was a great test between the devil and God. I'm going to do so much torture and murder to your Son that you will stop the human race. You will stop free will. You will destroy them all. You will give up on them. I'm going to get you to give up on your creation. And it almost worked. It almost worked. And even at that last moment, the devil was tempting Jesus on the cross through his minions, through the voices of evil hearts. Come down off the cross, then we'll believe you. Give up your cross. Give up your suffering. Then we'll believe you. Then we'll follow you. But what 
did Jesus say in response? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Oh, what a terrible stab in the heart that was to the devil. A terrible rebuke of the devil. Jesus was asking the Heavenly Father to forgive his murderers because they do not know what they're doing. So we are able to be forgiven, but the devil who does know what he's doing can never be forgiven because he'll never ask for it. And that was the moment that the test was over and the devil had been defeated and Jesus had redeemed the souls of all mankind. I want to remind everybody to pray for their priests and to support the faith wherever you find it. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning into this week's Double-Edged Sword Show. You're listening to the Network of Stations of Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Mm-hmm.